cliffcentral.com. You mentioned African countries. Um, Bulelo, it's, you know what it is? It's that day where we get to check in with um, our favorite African affairs commentator and editor and authoritative voice on Africa, J.J. Cornish. We get to speak to him. It is brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School, and we look at what's going on on the African continent. J.J. Cornish is here with us for African analysis. How are you, sir? Bonjour to you. I'm immensely well. Any better, I'd have to tell the authorities. <laughs> yeah, be careful you tell the authorities because some of them are quite heavy-handed. You know, they take that um, that wellness away from you if you gave them half a chance. So, JJ, um, as usual, there's plenty to talk about on the continent. Where shall we start today? Tunisia? Tunisia is good. You know, 10 years ago, the Arab Spring began. Now, the Arab Spring was sparked off. And this is a very sad pun by uh, the uh, flower uh, uh, fruit seller, Mohammed Bouazizi, mm. being bullied by the authorities who kept confiscating his uh, goods, which I've seen happen in Johannesburg, by the way. Yeah, to illegal but traders, vendors in, in, in the CBD. Finally, he, he set himself ablaze. And uh, that that ended the, the uh, upshot from that was the revolution effectively the jasmine revolution that ended the reign of uh, ben ali zin alibin ben ali who'd been in power since 1985 uh, ben ali uh, was a former interior minister of uh, habib bourguiba the first president of uh, tunisia uh, who'd been in, in there since 57 when they got independence from france and he grew very ill and, and uh, actually lost his marbles. And finally, Ben Ali took over from him. In uh, oppressive societies, if you want to know the tough guy, go to the interior minister because, you know, he has his thumb on all those things. Mm. And a tough guy was Ben Ali when I first visited there. You know, it was a police state. Uh, and uh, Tunisia was very proud of it. At every major intersection on the highway, there was a policeman. Hmm. On every bus, there was a policeman. In every railway carriage, there was a policeman. Well, you know, Tunisia is this tiny little country of 11.5 million people sandwiched between Libya and Algeria. You know, you don't get a rougher neighborhood than that. So when you'd say to a Tunisian, hey, you know, you're living in a police state, they'd say, so tell me about it. You know, where would you want us to live? Hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it was a... He tried to be quite a secular state, but he cracked down on his opposition. No doubt about it. Uh, Tunisia was the country that uh, uh, Nelson Mandela visited uh, early, shortly after uh, being freed. And Mohammed Ben uh, Abdelaziz Ben Azizi, Billy said, okay, this is it. Tunisia, the very north of the continent. South Africa, very south of the continent. This is how we're we going to have it. We're going to have the two. This, there will be a bridge across the continent, and we're going to have great links between the two of us, trade links, that sort of thing. Well, well, when a, when a, a dictator says that, then it should happen, shouldn't it? Except the South African person interesting, but, you know, not that. No. And uh, uh, I remember the ambassador. The first Tunisian ambassador was a guy called Hatem Atala. What a remarkably nice man. He went on to become ambassador in Washington, London, 
fabulous career, of course, until the fall of Ben Ali. And I suppose he's, he's, he was never a very uh, a rough guy. Uh, I suppose he was tainted by being associated with Ben Ali. He's now an academic. But I remember him coming to me in a bit of a sweat saying, you know, Ben Ali has said we've got to have trade ties and we've got to have this and that. And, uh, and, 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 and South African businessmen are just not responding hm. adequately enough. You know, so I'm in trouble. It was quite tough for him. But, tell me, uh, tell me, JJ, when we compare the the uh, regime of Ben Ali, um, and and you had first hand view of that when you were there, and you were also there for the 2019 elections, I think. Um, how do we compare that with what we've got now? Well, I mean, the Tunisia actually won a Nobel Prize for the kind of reconciliation that they brought up, and and their revolution. The Arab Spring, which in fact was a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a jihadi winter uh, in other parts of the world, in Syria, in uh, even in Iraq, in Egypt, even you know it brought it did not bring the peace that it did, for example, to to Tunisia. Now Tunisia, when you look at it, they're very interesting people, Gareth. You know they punch above their weight diplomatically. They are. They have a very interesting identity. Are you an Arab country? Yep, we're Arab. Are you African? Certainly, we are the most African country you could ever hope to meet. And and what about? Well, we're Mediterranean too. So you know. So they <laughs> so they've got this triple identity, and and they write. I mean, they are within sight of Europe. When you go to Sidi uh, Boussaid uh, or Carthage, you can actually see Italy from there on a clear day. So the, this is a country that brings in tourists, and they and they do it at a reasonable price. They're not hugely overpriced. So budget tourists from uh, Europe go there, and uh, it's very very beautiful. A city like Sidi Boussaid near Tunis uh, is painted in white and that Mediterranean blue. All the houses are the same color. Absolutely beautiful. Many Many people have villas, many Europeans had villas there and so on. And of course, it's, got this, it's got this extraordinarily rich history because Carthage was the ancient kingdom that, that uh, used to challenge Rome, you know, uh, 2,000 odd years ago. Yes, indeed. And, and so they have this incredible Roman history uh, and, and the ruins of Carthage, you know, part of the things you've got to see when you get there. Uh, the marketplaces and uh, it's it just amazing. Uh, the food, the cuisine is really outstanding. And, and they also built up an industry of health tourism, you know, because of the wonderful climate around Monsef and places like that, uh, Monastir at least. They, they have, uh, uh, health tourism and they've built sanatoria and clinics for people, but they rely completely on tourism. It's, it's a bedrock of their, uh, economy. So now in twenty fifteen they had two terror attacks that completely decimated the tourism industry and that nearly did for Tunisia. So what what's their what's their current system of government and, and is it as effective, is it as I mean, you know, as, as authoritarian as what they've been used to in the past and do they manage to the average Tunisians manage to eke out a living that's better than what they had Back in those days before the um, the Arab Spring, or has it been a, well, a, know, a bit of a downward slide? The the, the world economic uh, crisis really didn't help them at all. Mm. So survived this uh, attack on a museum in in 
in Tunis itself, and then uh, the, the the terrible attack on uh, the aquatic center, you know, the maritime center, and they started getting tourists back again, and they grew up to eight million. So the, the that industry began or re- resurged, as it were. Mm-hmm. However, they have with with the uh, COVID crisis. Their economy shrank more than 7% last year, and they have a very high uh, unemployment, hugely high unemployment among the youth, the most dangerous, of course, uh, among the educated and among women. You know, Gareth, I was uh, observed these elections at a town called Gabes, which is south, not terribly far from the Libyan border. And it's a part of the uh, country that, Still, the European, I mean, the Europe uh, airlines cut off Tunisia because of following the terrorism. And to this day, there's a travel advisory against going to the south near the Libyan border and to the west. Uh, But I was in Gabez and I went to speak to people. I wanted to speak to some youth about their voting. So they said, go to this coffee bar. And I went along and they're very big cafe people. You know, they love drinking coffee coffee and chatting and the Mediterranean makeup comes to the fore there. And uh, there I met these young people and they were chatting not about voting, but about getting on a boat to go to Europe. Hmm. And I said, you know, it's quite a long way from here, the south of Tunisia, and it's dangerous. I mean, you know, you see the number of people who are dying doing this. Is this what you want to do? Many of your university graduates, you've got good futures here in a country that, uh, you know, its democracy has been uh, underpinned. I mean, the president, the new president, Kai Saeed, uh, was not from the political establishment, the authoritarian political establishment. Uh, You know, things are looking up for you. And they said, there's nothing for us here. There's nothing except unemployment and misery. And they were getting on a boat. They were organizing. This was the place where the people traffickers met the people they were going to traffic. And they were getting on boats to go to Europe. And, you know, while I was there, 11 people died in a boat that sank off the coast of Tunisia. So there's that sadness about it. But the country is no doubt on the mend. It will. It should rebound. But right now the people are on the streets again. They didn't celebrate the 10th anniversary of the Jasmine Revolution because of the COVID lockdown. But once again, people are on the streets, young people blocking roads in several centers. And why is that? Well, because the authorities or the police. Hmm. And, you know, when you get into North Africa and the Arab world, you don't play games with the police. No. These are these are not people that let you take over the capital, <laughs> you know, as, as they do with our friends across the Atlantic. And there was a shepherd whose flock had come too close to a government building, and there's footage of the police actually bullying him and punching him and so on. Well, the people said, what do you think happened 10 years ago? You know, there was a revolution because of your behavior, and look at this. And so they are on the streets right now. The sure. the uh, the repression of them, the crackdown on them is a lot more measured. The authorities are a lot more careful. But it's terribly interesting to see the way they're handling it. Mm. You know, they, 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 they obviously it's disruptive to life. And again, order is very important in these societies, but the authorities dare not 
crack down too hard. Well, that's amazing. Here we are exactly, you know, 10 years later, and, and uh, some of the same problems are still raising their ugly heads, despite the fact that we supposedly had this incredible revolution. Now, JJ, I, I have um, a friend who's just got back from Zanzibar, and apparently in Zanzibar, they do not care a damn about COVID. They say we don't have COVID at all. Nobody wears masks, um, despite the fact that in the airport, this friend of mine said people were packed like sardines and apparently lots and lots of russians who are going in there for holidays because as soon as you get a vaccine in russia uh, from them their own vaccine they give you a half-priced holiday and one of the most popular places in the world for them to go is to zanzibar because there are no rules there <laughs> so i thought that was an interesting thing to remark on the birth the birthplace of freddie mercury yeah? that's right yeah yeah, yeah. So interesting. Zanzibar, I was there was it, the year before last. Mm -hmm. And uh, a beautiful, beautiful country. Go running in the evening and suddenly you see this figure coming at you. Tall, tall figure draped in those red and white robes or a cloth. The, the, a lot of Watusi yes. uh, working in Zanzibar, working as security people. Uh, yes, certainly uh, uh, it, it has a, a fantastic potential. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the plastic pollution and the dirt mm. on the beaches and so on is a bit depressing. But the sights, uh, again, the cuisine uh, are fantastic. As for as for COVID uh, or the scare, you know, I think there'd be people come to parts of South Africa and say, "Wow, well, you know, they don't seem to care as much as they should." Uh, I know that uh, you you know if you go into the some of the townships, for example, people are not as careful as they should be. And they have ideas that if you take a, a glass of hot water in the morning and a glass of hot milk in the evening, you'll have killed be the fine. virus. Yeah. You know, there, there is. Yeah, I mean, Brent. And it's, it's, it's all about uh, sadly, I'm hearing more and more and more of, of people going down here. Well, I mean, Brandon makes the point, which is the same point that these friends of mine made when they got back. Um, Apparently, when you land at the airport, they actually get angry with you if you have a mask on because they say, why are you, you know, you're being rude to us. We've, we've, we don't have COVID here. You don't need that. You take that off. <laughs> so it's very well, different. Well, that, that is, that is a very silly approach. I mean, you yeah. know, remember early in the, in the, in the, in the pandemic, we were told uh, there was a general belief in Africa that COVID was a bit of a white man's disease and that it, and the fact is Africa has been lighter hit far 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 lighter than anywhere else in the world but the fact is too did you know that 30 million doses of vaccine have now been dispensed or put into people's arms hmm. in the rich in the rich countries how many in the poorer countries 29 sure is that not it 20, not 29 million Gary. 29, 29 total. doses you know so that's that's the the sad thing uh 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 uh, Tedros Ghebreyesus, the World Health Organization General Secretary, is saying that this, we, we're suffering or we're about to suffer a major crisis of morality as the rich countries grab as much as they can. And, you know, when you speak to them, I had lunch with a Finnish ambassador uh, the other day who was saying, well, why, would, why do you think we would do that? Why would we take more vaccine than we actually need? And, and I think in countries like Finland, that may be true. They're taking just enough, but the doses are not getting through to the poorer countries, and not only the poorer countries, but countries like South Africa. Do you know when we're going to get a vaccine? 
I don't think many no, South I, Africans I, I, I love do the way, I love the way Dr. Tedros from the WHO has suddenly developed himself a conscience when he didn't have any problem taking Chinese money for a program that didn't do terribly much good for the people of Ethiopia when he was there as their health secretary. I mean, this is also the guy who's more than happy to, he's more than happy to lie on behalf of China at the drop of a hat, but now he has a problem with the rich countries of the world. Maybe the WHO should do their best to try and be a little more impartial and not bite the hand that feeds them in the case of those countries that are developing vaccines. But that's just my opinion. What the hell do I know? Well, I mean, certainly uh, Tedros is correct in saying that there is a crisis of morality, that the vaccine is not getting to the poorer countries. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I I just I'm I'm not really prepared to be lectured by someone who's in uh, in 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 hock to uh, China for his job, and that's there's no doubt about that either. That's absolutely right. We know who got him elected to the top of the WHO. Anyway, thanks, JJ. We will chat to you in uh, two weeks' time. As always, fascinating stuff about Tunisia, a country which I think too many of us know too little about. And thanks to you this morning, we have a much better and clearer and more contextual appreciation for the role that Tunisia plays on the continent. As you say, they punch well above their weight. And for the changes that have been made there in the last 10 years since that very iconic Arab Spring, which we all remember as being the first ever social media revolution in the world. Absolutely. My best advice is get to Tunis soon as COVID allows you to. Excellent. And you said it's also uh, well-priced and that they have interesting people there uh, that we should all be talking to to find out exactly what's happening in the north of this continent, the far north, as in we're in this, this far south. Thank you so much, JJ. Even South Africans can afford Tunisia. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's important. We'll take it. Thank you very much. JJ Cornish, everybody. And this is brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School. You can find out more about them by going to cliffcentral.com. All the information is on our website, and you can be a part of the, the incredible stuff that they do across the continent. One of the reasons that we talk to JJ is because he fills us in on the continent the way that the Joburg Business School wants us to be informed about what's going on here, because there are enormous opportunities for business and uh, smart people everywhere are looking how at how to exploit those opportunities not only to make some serious money but also to get their products and to get their services deep into the continent where there are enormous markets of people who want them so let's get cracking on that front cliffcentral.com Cliffcentral.com